0: Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On tonight's podcast, I have Daniel of End of Days Radio. He describes himself as an independent researcher and into all things ancient, dark, and mysterious. He's a poet and an online radio host, and it's a Friday night and things get weird. Enjoy. (us) Oh, 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 radio daniel's an independent research he's into the ancient the dark and the mysterious he's a poet a magician and the online host of end of days welcome to the podcast welcome to necessary illusions
1: from the broken ruins of babylon this is daniel host of end of days radio very good to be here with the host of this show i'm very excited Sweet, man. So what's been
0: going on with End of Days Radio? I just had an opportunity to check out some of your your broadcasts. You go quite a long time here, maybe three, four hours sometimes.
1: Yeah, exactly. So the show is doing better than it's ever been. It's, It's getting bigger and badder than ever. We're getting new listeners all over Europe, all over Africa, especially Germany for some reason. I'm not sure why that is. I guess I just seem to appeal to the German peoples, but I, I absolutely love it. It's been a slow grind. It's been a slow climb to this. I started over 10 years ago, back before, slightly previous to 2012. I'm sure you heard about the um, uh, the, the uh, Terrence McKenna, and the Time Wave Zero, the 2012 and all that. Uh, Dude, I'm
0: not too much into conspiracy theories. I know uh, Terrence McKenna... Um, I, I recognize the name. I definitely know, the, you know, the mind end of days calendar. Uh, I don't, why don't you tell me some of the stuff that maybe I'm missing out on? Well,
1: that's that's basically what I was getting at. The whole uh, 2012 time wave zero mind calendar thing. Like everybody said, nothing happened in 2012. Well, something did happen. End of days radio started. So I'd like to think <laughs> that, that nice. was all about this show.
0: Yeah. What did you say? Something about time wave zero. What's that mean?
1: Well, that that that's kind of like Terrence McKenna's whole thing about twenty twelve, the timeline and the end of the Mayan calendar. That he, he kinda of had this whole whole thing where he'd go out and he'd speak and some people think that it was just something he kinda of added to um, you know, add an element of mystery and prestige to his speaking tours, but others will say that no, it's it was actually a very real thing. I believe it was actually based off of the Chinese I Ching, which is, which is uh, a a Chinese, it's kind of like a lost way of telling the future. We've kind of lost the the ability to decipher it properly. But there's all kinds of little things like that in different cultures spread around the world. You know, this uh, ancient knowledge that we've we've lost, and uh, that's kind of another point to the research that I do is to uncover things in history that were that were lost so i love covering history and especially forbidden alternate history just as much as i like covering ufos and aliens and bigfoot and ghosts and goblins and witches and scarecrows and all that stuff so you
0: believe in like spirituality and um uh how how do we describe this this other stuff uh how how, what word would you describe this stuff maybe not quite spirituality like the 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 strange, the weird, the unexplained. That's what you're into?
1: Well, there's a particular word that I prefer that I'll bust out every once in a while, especially when somebody has questions such as yours. I like the term Fordian. F-O-R-T-E-A-N.
0: Okay, what's that mean?
1: And here, let me let me pull this up on the computer, because I knew there's a reason why I have my computer on in front of me rather than just to sit here and hurt my eyes. So it's fordian means relating to or denoting paranormal phenomena. Paranormal, a... that's
0: the word I was looking for. Paranormal, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's it's actually based off of the work of a gentleman named Charles Fort. The terms fordian and fortiana are are like used to characterize that phenomena. He was a guy that lived back in the turn of the century and he was kind of probably Stuff first or one of the first people that really investigated this stuff and wrote about it so he's somebody that society has kind of forgotten about but somebody that played a huge role in in creating the the interest in these topics that many people enjoy today
0: tell me about terrence mckenna i don't know much about him uh i think people have mentioned his name in the past was he someone that's big into psychedelics i don't know why i know that name
1: yeah, he was kind of, in a way, the, the successor to Timothy Leary. Okay. He, was, uh, he
0: liked LSD, right? Is that That's right, T- Timothy Leary, and he was a big fan of the old LSD, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, but Terrence McKenna, however, was probably a little bit more into the, the natural okay. psychedelics, like shrooms or ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is a a brew that's created in the Amazon between two plants. He makes them together and it creates a psychoactive substance. And him and his brother went down to the, the jungles and they had some pretty interesting experience where they were having hallucinations that they could both see. One of his books was called true hallucinations. And it's about him and his brother just having these crazy experiences, taking all these psychedelics down in, I believe it was the Amazon, and um, it's just some really weird stuff was happening. And like I was saying, there were some hallucinations, which they were both able to see at the same time. And that's not an uncommon phenomena in the world of psychedelics for people to see the same hallucinization. It really opens up a lot of questions as to what exactly is going on with the experience. Is it something to do with our brains and our the wiring in our brains just misfiring or is there something much deeper and much more interesting going on with these hallucinations?
0: So I am definitely not so much into, um, you know, paranormal activity and, and that sort of thing. Although, I mean, I'm curious, I think magic and that kind of stuff is, uh, fascinating but I'm definitely more into like mainstream science um, I'm definitely a, a student of the enlightenment um, philosopher at least that's what I fancy myself definitely my favorite subject to philosophize about is society political um, political philosophy um, radical politics that's that's what I've that's my favorite subject matter but I also like to philosophize on you know where where are we in the in the universe, you know, what is reality? What's the future of uh, mankind? How did we get here? You know, those types of questions. However, I want to bridge bridge the gap and just have fun with this interview tonight because, again, this is way outside of my area of expertise or even areas that I research. Um, but when you were talking about this, two, two people having the same kind of hallucination, my my thought in my mind went immediately to quantum physics and the phenomena of quantum entanglement. What do you think about that stuff?
1: Yeah, definitely. Another way to uh, explain that would be like non-locality.
0: Non-locality, what's
1: that? Well, it just means that everything is all connected. Everything is the same. We're we're all one. And it 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 gets into the same sort of research as quantum entanglement. It basically means the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you have two particles in different places and they're able to influence each other. Um, psychic phenomena would fall into this category. Like if you, if you can entertain the idea of non-locality or quantum entanglement, that opens up an entire world of, of paranormal experience and uh, psychic senses and, and tele, telekinesis even and things of that nature. Um, you know, th- there's, there's certain lines of thought that, you know, really do believe that we're all just individual little pinpoints of light Or little individual eyeballs for a much much greater entity. Basically, we're all God. I guess you could say we're all the same uh, creator, and we're just we've we've kind of forgotten that fact, and we've been splintered off and spread out. But basically, what we're all trying to do is uh, you know make it through the karmic cycle and get rid of all this baggage and make it back to that understanding and, and make it back to source. The karmic cycle. Sure. Yeah. That's, What's that? that's, or you could use the word sa- samsara like they would use in India. Yeah. Basically just the ups and downs that are happening in your existence. Okay. okay I can dig that.
0: So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I know like, uh, why I like, you know, quantum physics, uh, is, and I've read this quote on a podcast before, there's two types of people in the world, um, those that uh, don't understand quantum physics and those that have never studied it, you know, and I think the, just, you know, again, where you're, where, this is kind of where my mind is going, and I actually read a book on a, um, a scientist, I think he was a quantum physicist, and uh, he was, a, you know, kind of trained in the western school of thought, and over time, he got really deep into I, I've mentioned this book on another podcast, too. I don't have it next to me, but it's a famous book. Um, I'll have to look it up. But, um, yeah, basically, you know, he was kind of into the Western philosophy, and he kind of hit a dead end, um, you know, more like the the traditional training that, um, you know, be American and Western universities, um, you know, train scientists in. And uh, he, he was kind of thinking more of the, um, you know, you know uh, I guess – kind of everything is connected you know eastern philosophical view and um i think that that really you know kind of resonates too a little bit with me though um with um you know the double slit experiment which um you know uh an atom can be a particle in the in a wave at the same time like can we really separate one atom or one particle i guess it was an electron not an atom and uh you know they kind of move together um if if, and, and, and the observer changes it, it influences it. So I'm still always trying to wrap my head around quantum physics, but the way that you speak about our reality kind of keeps bringing me back to this quantum physics stuff. And I'm not even, you know, consciously trying to go there, but, um, you know, hearing you talk about it, I mean, how can a, how can a particle be, or how can an electron be a particle and the wave at the same time, unless they're, you know, connected, that's that sort of thing. So, uh, I think that, I think that sometimes um, scientific inquiry, uh, and I had a physicist on here two nights ago, sometimes scientific inquiry um, leaves us with more questions than it does answers about uh, the reality and the makeup of uh, the universe.
1: Uh, Sure, I I would definitely agree with that. I suppose that the things that you're interested in, the quantum mechanics, quantum physics, whoever you want to label it, I suppose that the things that I'm interested in ghosts, the afterlife, UFOs would be, uh-huh. in a way, byproducts of that, of this, um, you know, this world of quantum mechanics. It's hard to understand because it's an unseen world. And yeah. when you're getting into the SLIT experiment, you know, you, you're you kind of asking me what co- conclusions I could draw from that. Well, the first would be the obvious, that we are inside of some kind of dream or some kind of simulation. If you can turn a particle into a wave well your dreams you can do a lot more than that like if you become a lucid dreamer you can move things around you can fly you can have a degree of control over your dreamscape so you know getting back to the idea of are, are we all just little aspects of god and do we have some sort of creative influence over our environment well we we can certainly build sandcastles or create podcasts or make music and do creative things but perhaps we could do even more than that if we were to open our third eye or gain some universal understandance or omnipotence where we could uh, you know actually interact with the reality around us in a more more um, a direct form and, and really maybe that's what the slit experimented it really is maybe it's just us noticing what we're capable of through some means through some loophole but what it points to could be fascinating or it could be terrifying you know the idea that we're in some sort of simulation like that was something that elon musk was talking about quite a bit and i think that him being such a popular figure really brought this idea to the attention of a lot of people. It it might be that it was already incredibly popular before he even touched on it, but uh, you know, getting into movies like the matrix or the 13th floor. um, What's that one? I love dark city, the Truman show, all of these different movies and stories. They seem to point to something that we all kind of understand on some level, like even in the matrix, Morpheus says to Neo, he says, you've always known this. You've always known it deep down. It's just a matter of, you know, somebody needed to kind of point it out for you.
0: So I'm kind of a pop culture critic. Um, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, pop culture or movies. I'm certainly not a fan of Elon Musk or billionaires. I think my favorite interest is radical politics. Um, And what I would like to see is a classless society uh, a society where you know we don 't have billionaires and a fraction of one percent owning um, you know all the corporations owning all the wealth, owning all the materials in this world. I think it belongs to everyone, the commons. What say you about politics and uh, you know that that realm do you get do you get into politics at all uh, on your show or in your research or in your studies
1: oh, well sh- sure, just as much as the next guy um
0: uh, Aristotle just- said one of my favorite philosophers philosophers that uh uh man and uh, in his time that's what he, who he was speaking to because women didn't have much of a say in greek society or the democracy but he said man is a political animal and I I, I I believe that i think human beings are are naturally political um we are naturally um interested in trying to understand our world and and, and are curious um but we're always trying to politic and you know influence i guess our surroundings and influence the the establishment and the in the society that we live in and i think that that's kind of what um politics boils down to is you know how should society be structured uh and that's you know kind of the way i see it
1: okay so uh, you know first off i'm not a huge political guy and i'll explain why that is um you know i when i was younger i tended to just vote for Whoever seemed like, you know, they were the good guy, probably lean more democratic or democrat. But, um, you know, as I got older, got into doing the show, I, I did get into the Trump stuff. You know, I was a Trump bandwagoner. That, you know, that Alec, Even though I knew Alex Jones was kind of a, an agent or something like that. I I listened to what he had to say about Trump and it, it seemed like Trump really was for the working class Americans and stuff like that. And, you know, as I continued to do the show and I talked to different people, I, I became aware of his corruption and his ties to certain people and things that he did. And I just I, I just found myself getting entirely disillusioned with the political spectrum in general not feeling like I was somebody that would fit into the right. Not feeling like I'm somebody that would fit into the left, and and then becoming aware of how this right and left is is played against each other in an aristocratic manipulation. Divide and
0: conquer, man. They want to they want to divide the working class and the poor and conquer. That's the way I see it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and can I ask you, are you are you a Marxist?
0: I am not. I'm an anarchist, uh, actually
1: okay I, I believe there's some crossover in there isn't there
0: yeah totally so I've had a, a n- numerous um Marxists on uh, we debate uh, the Marxists tend to apologize the way I see it at least uh, for the um, atrocities that com- committed by the Soviet Union and uh, I think you know Stalin's one of the worst uh, criminals of all time uh, a lot of them argue in favor of Stalin because of his uh because of his um I guess, you know, force industrialization um, of a peasant society, uh, which is what Russia was at the time when he took over. Uh, but he was iron-fisted, and, and sure, of course, uh, the commissar class and the people that survived his reign of terror, yeah, they maybe had it a little bit better off, but I don't think the working class of the Soviet Union had it much better off following the revolution, following the Bolshevik revolution, or what some might call the Bolshevik coup d'etat um, and you know, I think you can mix some comparisons to Nazi Germany. Um, I've said this before on past podcasts and really just quoting some of the research from Noam Chomsky, my favorite philosopher, but if, at the time of, um, maybe 1939, if Hitler would have been killed or assassinated, probably would have, would have went down as the uh, most popular German leader of all time. Um, and of the... You know, sect of society. um, As long as you weren't Jewish or whatever, you know, persecuted um, class of people. uh, You know, Hitler was, um, you know, waging a war against or you know, genocide and that sort of thing. Um, Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of people were much better off. I mean, once the you know Jewish property was seized and and given, you know, a lot of people were much better off um, when Hitler was in power. His his forced industrialization and. Almost conquered the world, you know, and I think, um, you know, I think, you know, I see a lot of similarities with the Soviet Union, uh, with the uh, secret police, the KGB, uh, Nazis had concentration camps, Stalin had the Gulag. So just both totalitarian societies. uh, And as a student of history, um, it's hard to be optimistic about the future of humanity, um, you know, looking at the, the 20th century. Um, But, you know, what an anarchist is to me, I'm a socialist. Uh, First and foremost, I consider myself now a socialist. I was a little bit like you, uh, considered myself independent, um, more left-leaning. I definitely saw through Trump. But, see, I'm not as concerned about political, I'm sorry, personal corruption. I'm more concerned about the system and the policies that Trump, you know, had in the White House, which was cutting taxes on the rich and, you know, his anti uh, basically, his rhetoric that he didn't, you know, believe that climate change change was a problem. Now, there's some real differences here. <laughs> I mean, or not real differences between Democrats and Republicans because Biden, you know, obviously has some, you know, climate change rhetoric, like he's going to make some changes. But he actually uh, okayed more permits for drilling. Um, oil and natural gas than Trump has in, in his, during his term. So I, I think the rhetoric between the Democrats and Republicans might be a little bit different, but a lot of the policies are very similar. Sometimes you need a microscope to kind of see the differences between Republicans and Democrats. The way I see it... Um, you know, we have one party in the United States, the Business Party, with two factions. That's Democrats and Republicans, but not too much different. Maybe the Republicans um, talk about religion and pretend to be religious religious to pick up the vote and say some stuff about abortion. But outside of that, I think the policies are very, very similar. Uh, and what makes me an anarchist, um, all anarchists are socialist, but not all socialists are anarchists. And let me tell you what I mean. The Bolsheviks were the kind of the pro-statist Um, In favor of centralized government um, branch of of the socialist movement. They wanted a big, powerful state um, and they wanted to use that state to accomplish whatever socialist policies to be in, you know, maybe favor of the worker and the working class. Uh, But what I want is a decentralized society organized around either local communities or organized around the workplace. I I identify as an anarcho-syndicalist. My favorite time period is um, 1930s uh, Spain, the Spanish revolution, the Spanish anarchist revolution. Uh, It it was kind of going on at the time when some of the large fascist states of um, europe were forming and in fact uh, that's the only time the western democracies nazi germany and communists came together to smash it Uh, some different people have said that uh, some of the communist sects were in support of the spanish anarchist revolution and i'm sure that's true the left has never been unified that's one of the problems Um, but the way i see it I oppose concentrated wealth and power. That's what makes me an anarchist. I think that illegitimate power should be dismantled. Uh, and what I want to see is a highly, uh, de- uh, a highly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Decentralized society, um, one local, you know, organized around a, a local community and democratically um, organized workplaces where um, you know workers have say. And influence on the means of production. Uh, and I'm kind of quoting here the factory girls of the 19th century, which I don't think you need to read Marx or anything like that to understand that uh, hierarchy and domination and, you know, producing um, under external control of like a manager or a boss is, is not normal. It's not it's not even that's taking away your humanity. Uh, I I think in that way, I think that workers should have free association and be able to have influence on the means of production. And I think that they uh, should have a say. And I think that those that work in the factories ought to own them. And that's the that's kind of the um, 19th century uh, slogan of the factory girls. And I think it was like uh, Massachusetts at the time. This is right around the time of the Industrial Revolution. In fact, um, not too much longer, uh, the Republican Party, actually, uh, the party of Lincoln, Uh, And many people thought that they were fighting the Civil War over wage slavery. Uh, They didn't think that wage slavery um, was all that much different than chattel slavery, you know, slavery with, um, you know, chains and bondage. Uh, Other than it was temporary. Um, You know, wage slavery basically means you're renting yourself to a master for subsistence for the means to survive. So that's what I oppose. I think socialism uh, at its core is basically worker ownership and control over the means of production. And that's what I support. And that's why I oppose the Soviet Union. uh, Because there was no, it was a totalitarian and cruel society. Very harsh where the, the commissar class was empowered, not workers. And, uh, so that's kind of what separates me, I guess, from Marxists. I also don't like, I'm a philosopher. I think Marx had a lot of good stuff to say, but I'm also a student of Einstein. That's kind of where I get my namesake, MC squared, but I would never call myself an Einsteinian, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, um, Einstein got right. And there's some stuff that he was proved wrong on, you know I mean? Science is, uh, is science has to keep you honest, you know, and I like, that's why I like to study science because I had, again, a physicist on a couple nights ago, um, but you know what we talked about is yeah maybe in 100 years 250 years there's probably going to be some stuff now that we believe that maybe we'll find out we're wrong about or at least um, maybe not a paradigm shift but certainly some subtleties of the things that we believe now are going to be disproved or there's going to come out with we're going to come out with better research to maybe uh, come up with a different idea so. Uh, I think your your question was am I Marxist? No, I'm an anarchist, and I think I tried to mix in what my anarchist beliefs are. And again, I would say that my the closest thing that describes me. It would be an anarcho-syndicalist. So that just means, um, again, a, a decentralized society organized around uh, democratic workplaces where, uh, where um, workers own and control the means of production. And I think I said some Marxist terms there. So for sure, I think Marx uh, had a lot of good stuff to say. I would take the stuff that he had to say and use it um, in, in understanding the capitalist system that we're all a part of. Uh, but I would not uh, label myself a Marxist, no.
1: Okay, and I just asked because what you're describing it, it did, you know, kind of uh um, sound like hints of that, but um I know Hints there... Oh, for
0: sure, for sure hints, no doubt. I mean, he, he's influenced me. I mean, I read Marx for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely, but um it, it's also overlooked how Marx has affected American society. People that say that America's capitalist, well, that's not really true. It's we live more in a A socialist system, of course, we could sit here and argue about how much that is true or what level that we're at, but um, that's not really what's important about it is what's what I feel is important is understanding that things like a minimum wage or child labor laws child labor laws would not exist if it wasn't for the marxists back in the day doing activism work otherwise we if we were a pure capitalist society we'd still have children in the workforce which is it's it's all on a
0: spectrum i totally agree with you i mean i totally 100 percent agree with you i'm gonna push back a little bit and say i did not think you know united states is a socialist society but yeah i would say like socialism on one spectrum um capitalism on another i mean what what capitalism is yeah basically you know what the libertarians might want—some some dystopian society where corporations have free reign. Uh, there's no regulations. There's no OSHA. There's no minimum wage. There's no child labor laws. That would be a hellscape that I do not want to be a part of. Uh, a socialist society, I would say, has never been tried. Maybe in Spain in the 1930s, but of course, as I alluded to earlier in my ramblings, that was crushed by force. Um, and it's, it's usually crushed by force. Usually leftist and progressive movements are crushed by force a lot of times, um, you know, because of CIA shenanigans uh, a lot of times uh, and, and, you know, U.S. foreign policy and even, frankly, terrorism and acts of aggression. Um, so uh, but yeah, I think that uh, everything is on, on a spectrum. I mean, the United States, no question about it. It's a state capitalist society where um, the, the, the the government, the central government, the federal government has a huge influence in economic policy, uh, and you can see that by the stock traders. I know Tommy Tuberville. I had uh, mentioned this on a podcast before. I think he's on some agriculture board, but he's also trading soybeans and commodities and wheats and that sort of thing. That's literally insider trading. So I mean, you know, the free market is kind of a myth, kind of an illusion because. Um, the people that create the policies always tend to ensure that their, um, preferences and needs and wants or whatever are curiously attended to. And now I'm phrasing Adam Smith, uh, enlightenment era philosopher and sometimes what people call the father of capitalism. And, uh, yeah, I don't think that, uh, I mean, he was, he was big into ethics and morality and I think he would oppose child labor laws and, I think uh, environmental standards are all good things. But I I, I want to get to, again, I want to reinforce, I agree with you. I don't think that socialism has ever been truly tried. However, with that being said, neither is capitalism. Because if we lived in a truly capitalist society, uh, which we don't, um, the banks would be allowed to fail. Every time they crash the economy, it's socialism that bails them out. It's taxpayers that bail them out. In a true capitalist society... When a corporation fails or a bank fails, it would be allowed to fail, but instead there's uh, influenced by the federal government to bail it out. And, uh, it's happened time and time again, maybe every seven or eight years, it tends to, uh, you know, it tends to be a big recession or a big crash in the economy. And, and the taxpayers are always there to bail out the, the greedy bankers or the, whatever corporation that, uh, whatever it is, it's a housing bubble, whatever it is, you know, uh, the airlines, anything, you know, it, t- typically the taxpayer is there to, to bail out these corporations that are too big to fail. If we lived in a, a truly capitalist society, Corporations wouldn't be too big to fail.
1: They'd just be allowed to fail. Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. And there'd be a lot of people that would tell you that that's exactly what should have happened. If it's survival of the fittest or who's the best car company, then a, a car company should not be able to survive just based on the fact that it's American. It's, it's just going to get more bloated, more crappy, and and c- continue to push products that aren't really equivalent to you know what we're getting from the other brands like you could look at uh ford for example i think ford's a fairly good company um they so seem to here, here's what i want
0: to i want to say i hate all these corporations i hate every last stinking one of them i like co-ops mondragon that was uh in spain the Basque uh, the Basque country of spain uh, I don't like any corporations. I hate them all, every single one. I hate Ford. I hate GM. I hate any company. I don't care where they're based. I think workers should own and control the means of production. And in, in, in my in my view, I'm a radical philosopher and I'm into politics. So I just want to I just want to get my views out there since we're talking about it. I hate all corporations. Apple, any of them. I mean, so, sure, some of them put out good products, but what I want is not a board of directors and a CEO making hundreds, if not thousands, of times the minimum wage. Uh, of the lowest paid employee in that company well I like Mondragon which has a wage ceiling which a the top executive or manager can't make something somewhere between like three and nine times the, the rate of the lowest paid uh, employee and the profits are equally distributed or at least in theory uh, that's what a co-op should be about is equal distribution of profits not uh, again the CEO and the board of directors make millions while you know the people on the bottom struggle to to survive so I hate the corporations I think they should all be dismantled in favor of democratically organized co-ops, where owner or where workers own and control the means of production. So that's kind of what Marx said, but that's the way I see it. And there's a lot of corporations. Um, I'm sorry, co-ops. A lot of co-ops. I read this stat before. I think something like in five years, co-ops, 80 percent are still in business. The ones that start up. Uh, in, in five years, traditional corporations, something like 40% are in business. So it's a model that's really resilient, even though, um, you know, corporations dominate, you know, the, the capitalist system. And I talked about this on you know, some of my podcasts here, but a lot of times these corporations buy up the successful co-ops to destroy them so that there's not an example to other workers out there in an act of class war to get these co-ops dismantled to ensure that, you know, again, corporations kind of dominate the, the capitalist economic system system.
1: Well, yeah, like um with with Ford, you know, I I think Ford makes good cars. They're not probably not the best. They're kind of middle of the road. But then you have GM, you know, you mentioned GM. GM bought all these other car companies like Pontiac, um Hummer, Cadillac. Yeah, there you go. The the list goes on and on. They and they've really gone downhill. Like they gm cars are just made very crappily nowadays and to think that our government might give them money to bail them out or or that they might be be encouraged to stay in business it, it's just a disgusting bloated monopoly and you could look at microsoft and say the same thing their product is crap if you compare windows to linux or other you know, free systems what what they actually have out there on the market is is complete garbage uh, compared to other products out there that have more of an open source, you know, comparing Windows and Linux, it's a it's a no brainer. Unless you're looking at uh, the, the more stable server versions of Windows, it's like night and day. It's it's just complete complete crap. And, and we're talking about something that's uh, coming from a more open source grassroots. I love system. that.
0: See, now you're hitting on it. This is what I like: open source, free free sharing of information, grassroots working class now you're hitting on it and this is the stuff i like to talk about keep going
1: well i i also i this whole thing i got going i like to use the term grassroots truth movement that we might be getting shut down by big brother and the corporations and things like that but see, see big
0: brother too there's a corporate state nexus there is, and that's kind of what fascism was all about. There is a connection between the state and these corporations. They work together. And you don't even, I mean, this isn't even conspiracy theory stuff. I mean, Facebook, Amazon, I mean, Alexa's a spy, you know, for the NSA and FBI. So is Facebook. There's, uh, I've read tons and dozens of articles about, um and, you
1: know, and you Facebook. Said, and, you said you weren't into conspiracies.
0: <laughs> this is not a conspiracy, <laughs> though. There's There's mainstream journalism that says that, these these Silicon Valley-based corporations um, share information not only with the United States government, but with, but with governments around the world, especially right-wing governments like Saudi Arabia. And one of the problems uh, that... People have in, in Western society with TikTok because they're sharing, they're, they're spying on us, just like literally every other Silicon Valley uh, technology firm is doing. As uh, TikTok is very successful, especially with younger people, it's very, very popular. People stay on TikTok longer than any other social media site, and more users, more active users. And Silicon Valley does not like that, and they use the fact that you know TikTok is spying on users and giving information back to the Chinese government. Um, Which it is, I'm sure. Um, But they don't mention the fact that, you know, uh, U.S.-based corporations in Silicon Valley are probably doing it 10 times as much.
1: Yeah, I'll uh, I'll agree with you on that one. Uh, You know, just touching on a few different things here. um, I'm not a fan of hierarchies at all. Like if you if, if I'm in the workplace, right. And I've got, I'm surrounded by people that want more than anything to be a manager, right? And why do they want to be a manager? So they can get- Status, more,
0: more money, status, paychecks, and so, yeah.
1: And so they could boss people around and have some sort of sense of power. Power and, and control, sure. Yeah, Look. look at the way that they're, look at the way that they see the world and the way that they think. And somehow in their mind- they think it's okay. As soon as they get a little smidgen of power, as soon as they become a manager, now, now they can turn around and they can start bossing us all around. Like that's what they're in. That's what they wanted from the beginning. They wanted to feel important and they wanted some sense of status. They wanted to be able to push other people around and us as, you know, if you want to say we're capitalists or Americans or, or whatever, in our minds, that's okay. But, ethically and morally it's really not okay nobody should be telling anybody else what to do unless you're a parent and you're telling your child what to do that is it
0: that is it that's that's what chomsky i'm a big reader of noam chomsky that's exactly when he's always asked you know what form of domination and power and control is just and he always uses the example if my granddaughter wants to run across the road and i grab her arm and don't let her that's a just display of power but outside of that, you, the the burden is in the the person that exercises that power to justify it. Uh, and outside of that, it gets pretty dicey. I you, I mean, maybe you don't read some of the same stuff I do, but you exactly are hitting on the exact same stuff that I like to read about. Man, it, it's crazy. Uh, we got we got some we got some quantum entanglement going on here right now.
1: <laughs> well, I like I was saying, I was a uh, a very ardent. I don't think I ever called myself a capitalist, but I was conservative, and I you was You wanted all to about... be a
0: billionaire, Daniel, didn't you? I know you did. Come on, man. We all did it well, one time, I didn't still we? to
1: be a billionaire? <laughs> of <laughs> course, it
0: ain't gonna know. happen, brother. I wish you the best in life, but it ain't gonna happen. It ain't gonna happen for me either.
1: Sure, and you know, I I don't know if you've uh, really looked into the idea of an Illuminati. I, this is now nah, here we go. We're going off the
0: deep end here. I have not. No, I don't look in these I don't look into it. I mean, we can talk about it a little bit if you want. I, I don't go there. I don't go into the conspiracy theories or these um whatever. What what would you call the Illuminati like a secret society thing? We can we can go there a little bit. We're we're off the rails. It's a Friday night. This is way off the topic of what I normally discuss. Let's
1: stick to the facts then. Let's stick go ahead. to the facts.
0: talk give me what what is the Illuminati? I really haven't researched it much. What is it?
1: So there's something that we could verify as absolutely true called the Bavarian Illuminati, right? It was started in 1776, the same year that the United States of America was officially began. And America was called the New World, and it was always referred to as an experiment. So I want to butt in here, though too. America sure. was a nascent
0: Empire it was a nascent Empire that means it was an empire and this is some of the founding fathers stuff it was an empire from its inception so I just want to get that out there go on this is this is well, unique well, this is unique in history an empire that was created out of a snap of the fingers of course. It was created because of the genocide of the Native Americans, with the colonists coming over and executing and exterminating them, and taking over their lands. And it started as a nascent empire and a very violent empire. And the United States has been at war since 1776, even though our borders haven't been um, breached since the War of 1812. Certainly not during World War II, when we were uh, when our shores or whatever, our uh, Hawaii was bombed when it was still a civil colony, and of course Hawaii was stolen at gunpoint. Anyways, now Hawaii is on, uh, on fire. Fire right now and we we give them what uh each person like seven hundred dollars while we're sending uh another hundred and some billion or 13 billion i don't even, i've lost track of how much we're, how many billions we were sending to ukraine but uh hawaii's burning they're getting checks for 700 bucks in uh, ukraine and the proxy war going on there they have plenty of funding in the military industrial complex that's the stuff i like to get to but go ahead keep going with the illuminati i just wanted to say some stuff about the america's founding
1: well well sure so yeah. An empire from the start. That's empire exactly...
0: from the beginning. Yep.
1: Yeah. They're in. You look at the fact that our founding fathers were all members and immersed in this world of secret societies. They were. Yeah. Yeah. And, and these secret societies, they practice ritual magic and they're into the occult and they have a long history of having this interest going back into ancient times. I mean, that's. Just a fact, Jack. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you could say it's conspiracy right. theory, but
0: I, yeah. I know that uh, what George Washington was a um, a Freemason, and I'm sure it wasn't Franklin. Uh, ben Franklin was a Freemason. um What's the Freemasons all about?
1: Well, Freemasonry, on its outset, it's a brotherhood, it's a fraternity. It's not necessarily anything nefarious and evil. Uh, you'll have plenty of Freemasons kind of give you that spill, and outwardly, it, it's there's probably nothing wrong with becoming a Mason and playing pool and drinking beers with your uh, Mm -hmm. Mason brothers. But, you know, underneath it all is a a world of symbology, a world of metaphors and a, a, you could even, I suppose, call it a hidden language of symbology that permeates every aspect of our society. You know, things like, Eagles, you see quite a bit, and different. So, talk,
0: talk, talk, speak to speak on some of the symbolism. Let's let's talk. What, what's, so, don't just mention the symbols, but
1: what do they mean? Okay. Um. For, well, I was about to get into the eagle. Okay. The eagle is something that you see in the United States. Something you saw everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, and it's something that you saw you see in, um, uh, Rome, Rome. Okay. Okay. And that's some of yeah, the founding
0: but, fathers. They really liked what was going on in Rome, and I think some of them were influenced by Rome, and they wanted to make another uh, Rome. Maybe I think some of
1: them, at least, did. Sure, if you really research it deeply, you might even say that they were the same families and bloodlines from the Roman times. The um, uh, Are you familiar with Claudius?
0: I was a Roman emperor, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, yeah, he was the. Roman emperor after um, Caligula. You know, oh, British
0: Caligula. Friend. That was the one that had a horse as a senator, right?
1: Yeah, and he had sex with horses and zebras, and he'd kill people while he was making you – know, Wasn't he a good guy,
0: down. from my understanding, Caligula. not make people not like him.
1: Yeah. He's kind of like uh, modern day – well, there's really nobody I can compare him to. I was going to but... say, yeah, I can't wait to hear this comp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried, but I drew a blank. <laughs> But it's it suffice it to say he's a sick bastard and yeah, yeah. um in Claudius he he took over afterwards and it's been proven that a lot of these rulers out there, you know, even people that were supposedly elected, their ancestry goes back to I Claudius. I suppose you'd call them Claudian or a link to the Claudian dynasty. And these same families were still in power when Rome fell and it became the Byzantine empire. You know, they were mixed in with Germanic elites and that's where the Holy Roman empire came from. And, what's going on right now you know between the uh west and the east the eastern orthodoxy uh it it is it is tied to the church and the uh the conflict there you know everything is a product of history and now we have a situation where these bloodlines are still in control, but they don't do it through direct ownership like they used to when you'd be born and you were considered a king or a queen. They found a way to become much more powerful than a king or a queen. That's that's, that's the way I see these corporations.
0: I I think I I see these moneyed corporations and and the executives and people like Elon Musk and Bezos with uh, hundreds of billions of dollars. I think they have more wealth, power on a scope and scale that rulers of the um, you know, rulers of the feudalist era of the dark ages couldn't have even imagined. I mean, these are people with private security forces, private jets, uh, uh, wealth and power um, greater than some even small countries uh, around the world. Incredible wealth and power, again, on a size and scale and scope that uh, I don't think anyone um, a couple hundred years ago could have even imagined.
1: Y- yes, exactly. And, the, and these people use political extremes to manipulate they found that if they accumulated this massive wealth they were not only much more powerful than kings or queens or emperors even but they could take this wealth and they could fund it into whatever they want to get whatever they want and and so here, here here we go let's
0: go conspiracy theory the pandora papers um the uh the panama papers these are these are mainstream uh, journalists, you know, people that work within the system that are recognized with credentials that are, and, and books that I've read, uh, rivers of dirty money. Uh, and of course, one of the one of the people uh, named, I think it was in the Pan Panama Papers, yeah, Zelensky, uh, the face of the military industrial complex, the president of the Ukraine. Um, which again, I think Ukraine is a victim here of Russian aggression. So I'm not making any uh, I'm not making any excuses for Putin. By no means am I an apologist for Putin. He's a war criminal, uh, and I think if he was held to the same standards of the Nuremberg Tribunal, he would have been hanged already by now. But anyways, I digress. Um, the Panama Papers uncovered rivers of dirty money of rich and powerful people, politicians and bankers and corporate executives um, that are using uh, uh, you know, their wealth and power and influence to evade taxes, offshore their money. And this has been accelerated by the Reagan era um, deregulation of the financial system. Uh, the, the most recent article I read was there's $21 trillion and dark money that nobody can account for. It's lost. Uh, and then I'll also make mention of this, because I'm no fan of the military-industrial complex. Uh, the, I think it was 2022, uh, the sixth audit in a row, uh, the United States military couldn't account for 61% of $3.5 trillion. And I think it was... Um, Donald Rumsfeld, uh, two thousand and one. I remember a press conference where they, they, they couldn't come up with something uh, like two point three trillion. So uh, even the United States government um, and the military, uh, there's trillions of dollars out there that they can't account for. Let alone you know these billionaires and these corporations. And I mean, it, it's crazy uh, the world economy the way it is with the financial deregulation. And now we have. Um, uh, cryptocurrency making it even more so easy for um, you know rich and powerful people to move their money around. I'm no fan of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. Although I will say I do like um, decentralized banking systems. I hate the big banks. I hate too big to fail. I don't. I'm no fan of the Federal Reserve or the IMF uh, and these these banking systems. Uh, they're always able to um, print money. There's no limitations to money. Uh, at least when it comes to war and imperialism. But when um, people need help with student loan forgiveness or, um, you know, hunger or, or poverty or homelessness, there's, we just never have enough money to go around
1: for some reason. Uh, definitely, definitely. The, the money that you're talking about, that's, that's just part of. Uh, $21 trillion. That's a lot of money. I don't know how much that is, but that's a lot of money. Well, backtracking a little bit to Ukraine, uh, it was announced that BlackRock would be taking over all the reconstruction efforts for Ukraine. So BlackRock is basically the bank for the elite. That's where their money funnels. They they control tens of trillions
0: of dollars. I don't know. I think between BlackRock, uh, there's three of them, State Street and Vanguard, Vanguard. I think they control – uh i forget what it is it's over 20 trillion dollars i believe maybe 30 trillion dollars i mean a crap ton of money an insane amount of money i a, a amount of money i couldn't even imagine a significant percentage of the world economy in fact i think a uh, majority of the world economy is controlled by these three firms alone
1: exactly and uh you know you want to talk about conspiracy well what more evidence do you need than BlackRock's very existence and the fact that they're taking over the reconstruction efforts for Ukraine. I mean, that's, let, that's, let me
0: push back a little bit though. Let me push back a little bit. I do not think it's a conspiracy for rich and powerful people to want to acquire more rich wealth and power, you know, more riches, more wealth, more power. I don't think that's a conspiracy. I think that's the way the system is designed. So I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and the way I see it, that's not a conspiracy. What say you?
1: Uh, I'd say it's definitely a conspiracy because they are conspiring to do something rather nasty to us poor people. They're not giving us all the facts, and they're using their connections and their wealth and their influence to do things in secret. Because if we all had the facts in front of us and we all had some kind of vote in the matter, there's no way we'd allow some uh, organization like BlackRock to completely. No way. These people have been doing this all throughout history. Like this Rothschild family, they've admitted that this is what they do. They start wars, they buy up conquered nations with pennies on the doll on the dollar. They create they create political ideologies and political spectrum so they can pit them against each other. They pit Marxists. That's the divide
0: and conquer strategy. That works. That works really well for the ruling class.
1: Yeah and your best example is probably Waterloo you know the um the battle that happened there that ended Napoleon's reign well when the battle was actually going down uh, one of the prominent Rothschilds at the time he sent an emissary to the battlefield to report back what was going on he reported that Napoleon was being defeated and what did Rothschild do but he sent word to all the newspapers that Napoleon was actually winning then, when the stock market crashed, the Rothschilds bought up everything again for pennies on the dollar, and they gained even more power and control over the whole world this way. And this is that, about- that's
0: the way the ruling class—they they do well in economy that's booming, but they also do well in recession and a depression because they have all the money they can buy up all the cheap, you know, resources, uh, means of production, businesses, all that sort of stuff. So, in a depression and recession, they really. Um, do well uh, head and shoulders above, you know, what the working class does who are, you know, usually struggling during those times, but uh, everyone does well in a booming economy, but the rich and powerful seem to do well, no matter
1: what. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Waterloo is probably the best example out there of, of the Rothschilds, you know, using their power, wealth, and influence to seize even more power, wealth, and influence. That's kind of how the whole thing works. Uh, another great example would be the Iraq War. Iraq War. I'm sure you're familiar with the corruption there with the Bush family and actually them having investment into the reconstruction efforts. That was, uh, if I'm sure, being a politically interested person. you are well, familiar Dick
0: Cheney's Halliburton too. I mean, uh, the, the weapons and defense contractors. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the. Cl- clear corruption there uh as in every you know war of conflict but yeah big time big time corruption with the war in iraq not once
1: but twice yeah there was that movie made by the you know super liberal leftist film director michael moore who you don't hear about much nowadays but you know I, i'm not a i'm not from the same political spectrum but even when i was a younger a teenager and Fahrenheit nine eleven came out. Yeah. I actually thought that was pretty good in terms of exposing a lot of this corruption I'm talking about. I mean, ne- looking back at it now, I'd prefer if he would have went much deeper into, you know, this Illuminati stuff, but uh, you know, that, that's just how some people are. They prefer to keep things on the ground level and keep things in terms of what's not going to get them laughed at, or call the lunatic, or call the schizo, or something like that, because they've done a great job at hiding them, hiding their appearance, hiding themselves, and making it so that you know, because they control the world of academia, they control the world. Who's of, they?
0: When you say they, who's they?
1: Uh, well, the the people that control the um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, the the higher end uh, college schooling the um you know princeton yale harvard i'm sure you've heard of skull and bones right
0: i have heard of skull and bones yeah i think i think that there's ideology uh and i think people are indoctrinated and i think people with um power and influence in society are typically those that are most indoctrinated so i kind of get into more um I guess, I don't know, the Chomsky theories of, you know, miseducation and, and that sort of stuff. I don't get too much into the secret societies, uh, as a, obviously it sounds like you've delved into. But I appreciate where you're coming from, and I'm, I'm learning stuff right now, and I have um all, all night so far tonight. Tell me a little bit about Skull and Bones. I've seen some movies on it, uh, but outside of that, I mean, is it still, uh, I think Bush was in it, right? Bush Bush 2 was a Skull and Bones, I believe?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, Skull of Bones is a secret society, and back in I believe it, it was. I heard the he got 70s.
0: bailed out of trouble. Bush too. Uh, I think that his connections got him bailed out of trouble more than a couple of times while he was in college. I believe something like that.
1: Sure, I don't doubt that. But in the '70s, a group of students decided, "Hey, we're tired of all the secrecy. We're tired of these." ivy league jackasses uh controlling everything behind the scenes let's break in there and let's take a video camera or some cameras let's see what's inside the skull and bones little um meeting room or a building or whatever the heck yeah. they would uh, meet together in at the time it was so- somewhere on campus let's put it that way so they break in and, and they find all these swastikas whoa right
0: wait a minute yeah here.
1: yeah so so, what's going on there? You have this Ivy League school, the Bush family, swastikas, and then you you look at the fact that Prescott Bush, you know, the uh, George W. Bush's grandfather, he was involved with f- basically funding the Nazis. So, and I, Pres- I
0: I make the connection here too. I mean, there's a lot of ties with um, ex. Nazis, Nazi collaborators, and um, the United States uh, support of Latin America terror states, uh, especially in the 1980s under Reagan. In fact, uh, Reagan was the only president, I think, uh, lambasted uh, by the World Court and, um, I guess, admonished uh, to follow international law because it was breaking, it's breaking law so um, brazenly. Um, but yeah, I think that the Nazi connection has run deep. Now, here's something I've read about from Chomsky and other people, maybe on the left, is I, I, I find myself on the political spectrum very, very far to the left. Um, so far left that I'm farther left than Marxists, because um, I'm an anarchist. Um, but with that being said, um, the World, World War II, um, what happened after World War II was there was a lot of resistance to the establishment of, to the established order. And what happened after World War II, um, the United States and the New World Order that was being constructed by the state planners of the United States, and of course the record has been opened up as it usually is in the United States. We're a very free society. Every 30 years or so, um, you know, they were trying to plan out the world and, and the Marshall Plan was part of the reconstruction of Europe um, funded by the U.S. taxpayers. But one of the things that they had the leaders i guess chose to do at the time was to um use nazi collaborators to break up the leftist resistance movements and we had discussed uh prior to world war ii there was a very strong especially in spain anarchist uh movement and 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 revolution that happened there the communists so there was a lot of leftists and a lot of anti-establishment and a lot of dissidents and pushback against the established world order which gave us uh, at the time fascism nazism and some of the worst you know crimes the world has ever seen and part of what the united states did is aligned uh, with european um, governments and nazi collaborators to break up those um, leftist movements, those anarchist movements, those communist movements and to ally with um, Nazis um, because they were because the Nazis for, for starters were the ones that targeted the, the fascists run a very very tight ship, uh, they, don't, they don't deal with much, they, they use violence to break up anything they don't like whether it's communism, whether it's anarchism, whether it's leftism, dissidents anti-whatever, anti-establishment. Um, so that's part of what World War II was about following, following, I guess, after it ended, was the reconstruction of Europe and the world under a new system of government, which really wasn't all that much different um, than the old system. And, of course, there's numerous corporations from, you know, Volkswagen, IBM, all different. I, I remember reading all kinds of different corporations that collaborated with uh, with the Nazis. And in fact, um, I think Henry Ford and Hitler were very close or very tight. They both admired each other. Henry Ford, of course, you know, uh, an industrialist and I guess a billionaire. Um, you know, back in the day, if you could, you know, uh, say like his net worth and compared to what it would be worth today, you know, very rich and very powerful. Um, And then, you know, the Nazis and their criminal code, um, you know, with their persecution of Jewish people, you know, where they found their influence was in the Jim Crow South, you know, the Jim Crow South in the United States. Although they thought that it went too far at one point in time. So, yeah, there's a lot of influence. And then I've seen um, pictures um, of huge rallies at Madison Square Garden that was filled with Nazi flags and pro-Hitler people. So, yeah, there's... No question about it. Um, and, and in fact, uh, I think state planners at the time, uh, when Hitler came to power in the 1930s, many of them considered him a moderate and supported him. So obviously, you know, by the time of uh, World War II and the concentration camps and stuff, he was very, very far to the right. But at one point in time, uh, Hitler was very popular, not just in Germany, but in Europe and the United States as well.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I don't doubt that. Um Reason I'm I'm drawing these connections together is because I I really want to highlight the fact that you know kind of like what you just said it wasn't just you know a couple guys um, over here that were into the Nazism and the white supremacy and stuff like that these these ideas were incredibly popular at the time and absolutely um, Hitler even sent. I'm having a little trouble drawing up exactly who it was, but he sent one of his top guys over to England. And the idea was he was going to fly in and he was going to get help from the British because he knew because they knew so many of them were so, you know, pro white and pro white supremacy that they felt that they could actually get the British on their side. Obviously, that didn't happen, but. For example, Winston Churchill is famous. He's he's very famous for being very anti-Semitic that's and, right. That's and right. yeah, yeah, and you know, look look what happened after World War II. A lot of Nazis, we purposely allowed them to escape to South America. And, that's right.
0: That's what I think that's what the ties with the Latin American terror states. The United States supported, and I've talked about it numerous times on this podcast. But that's no conspiracy. That happened. There's great documentation of that as well.
1: Certainly, certainly, and. You know, this idea of like conspiracy, it, it's I I just don't even really think of it like that. Like yeah, there's I this conspiracy, like all of a sudden there's this label on certain facts, but like, what if they want that? What if they want that label to be on there on any topic they don't want people peering into? Like, that's a great way to do it. Just make make people feel weird and insecure about bringing it up. Sure. And then and then people will reinforce that. So, like, you try to talk to somebody about one of these topics and they'll tell you, oh, I'm not into that. Or, oh, that's conspiracy because sure. they don't want it. Yeah. They they don't want to be perceived as a nut bar or not taken seriously or it, it makes them feel like they're not being perceived as intelligent. I don't really see it that way. I, to to me, the most intelligent people are the ones that are able to discern what's going, what's actually going on out there. And you got to question
0: question authority, question power, question the establishment. You know, and that's not conspiracy theory. I think that's just being a citizen of the world.
1: Definitely, definitely, but I mean, you brought up earlier, uh, I think it was the Gulf of Tonkin incident, and that's just one example of a, an entire history of false flags, mm-hmm. not just by our yeah. country, but yeah, every country from Japan to China to Russia to Germany to Italy. States are
0: power centers, my friend. They are not humanitarian organizations. You know, They are not concerned with human rights. They are concerned with amassing power and maintain that power and grow that power so if a state can get away with it and it leads to economic uh, self-interest or uh proliferation of power they will probably do it that's the way i see it i think that's why i that's why i'm an anarchist syndicalist i think the nation state is uh, a concept that i even had a phd on here last night he's he thinks the same uh the nation state is the clock is ticking. I don't think that the nation state has too much longer to hold on. And the way I want to see it, a decentralized world, um, a globalized world where workers of the of the you know world unite in solidarity and cooperation. Um, and that's what I want. You know, a society that's free, uh, democratic, and hopefully we get rid of these nation states, these standing armies, these you know the constant threat of nuclear war, um, all that kind of stuff is. Uh, just
1: sure,
0: just, just it, uh, let, let's let's anyway. So, let's let's well, we've been
1: doing politics for a while.
0: It, let's do some fun stuff. Let's do like five, ten minutes of some fun stuff. Let me just ask you some questions. Me, I want to see bring you... up one more point. Go ahead. Oh, absolutely. Go ahead.
1: So, let's look at Bohemian Grove. You're familiar with Bohemian Grove, right?
0: <laughs> I'm not, man. I'm not. Tell me about it.
1: Well, it's this gathering they have in California. And all these super rich, most of them are Republicans, they get together and they do a little ritual in front of a giant wooden owl, right? Right. Really creepy stuff, very occult, very magic. And and back in the day, there was all these pictures of like these sort of pseudo hangings they were doing at Bohemian Grove, weird stuff. Yeah, and most of these people are what you would call wasps. Um, I forget the exact definition, but it's like white Anglo-Saxon something something. Yeah. And these are your skull and bones. Okay. These are your your J your um you your various presidents like Hoover Hoover that was extremely racist. People like the Bush family, Prescott Bush. Uh, people that are tied to the CIA and project Paperclip and the Nazis and the mind control. The Nazis were all about mind control. That's how they were able to create a fascist state. That, that is kind of what fascism is. It's propaganda.
0: They use, utilize propaganda, but see, they actually got their model from the British during world war one, which a lot of people don't uh, talk about Uh, the, uh, I forget what they called it, the ministry of information or something like that. I think that was the Brits uh, world war one. Uh, and, in fact, uh, during World War I, um, they got the British population uh, riled up uh, in jingoist hysteria to hate everything German. I believe even Wagner was banned from the London Symphony. So, um, yeah, propaganda is very effective, but uh, it was not invented by the Nazis. Uh, it was actually, uh, I think they got their model from, uh, again, World War I uh, Britain. And uh, sure, I always sure, like to bring this stat up. Regardless
1: of where they got their model from, sure. that's not really what's what I'm getting at or what's okay. important. Um, the, the fact of the matter is that what's happening in this country to this day, it is a byproduct of P- Project Paperclip and the Nazis that were brought into this country. I don't know the...
0: Project Paperclip. I've heard of it. What is that?
1: Uh, well, basically, after World War II ended and the um, the the Americans and the Russians went into Germany, they grabbed all the scientists and all the greatest minds and they split them up and... Half of them went to Russia and half of them came to the United States and they became the beginnings of what nowadays is called the CIA and also NASA. So the, the rocketry that was invented by the Nazis. But the reason I'm doing this is I just want to point out how deeply these Nazi ideologies are undermining our society. And it's my personal belief that... Hitler was being funded by the the world elite um, it, he He certainly made it seem like he was fighting against them that he was rebelling against their rule. but if you look how Hitler was brought up, he was brought up through the world of secret societies, and these secret societies are run and owned by these aristocratic elite families behind the scenes that own the world banking system. And it's, there's certain words of his to point out the fact that he did accept their money, especially towards the end of the war when Germany was running out of resources and they were trying to push into Russia. So uh, really it's the same same people that were funding both sides of the war in World War II, just like every other war, just like uh, Napoleonic times, just like any other times. And these people have been have been ruling us from the shadows for so long that we've forgotten that they even exist and you do have people that Uh, jump onto those Nazi ideologies and, and, and let the Nazi philosophies influence them. A lot of people on the right get accused of this sort of thing. And we have to be very careful just because we're aware of the elite or we're aware of corruption or we're aware of people experiencing a genocide in Israel that we don't become Nazis or begin to subscribe to their beliefs because it's a very easy thing to do once you become aware of this hidden world.
0: So, uh, I want to quote, uh, John Dewey, American philosopher, politics is the shadow cast on society by big business. He had alluded to maybe the river of money that funded Hitler. There's no question about it. There were a number of corporations, uh, including Volkswagen, the people's wagon, I think something along those lines that collaborated with, uh, Hitler or Hitler, um, you know, utilized, uh, for his power and, uh, I guess, wealth in in, in German society and, um, you know, the corporate state nexus. uh, I think that is certainly uh, relevant in today's society and, you know, some of that kind of, you know, kind of that. There's there's definitely some undertones with, you know, the corporate state nexus and fascist society. I would certainly not call the United States a fascist country. Uh, We don't have concentration camps or nothing along those lines, but... You know, at times that corporate-state nexus, it is, uh, you know, it is, it is scary. It is powerful, wealth, money, influence, um, and we always have to push back. I think against that established order, uh, and it's certainly that, you know, concentrated wealth and power, which is I, which is what I like to do. I consider myself a voice for the voiceless, uh, and I like to call out and speak truth to power, and I like to, um, you know, I guess essentially try to. Um, I would like to dismantle illegitimate authority and hierarchy and domination and systems of control in society. That's my number one influence, uh, I would say, politically.
1: Certainly, and I, I would say that I probably, for the most part i i have a I have a very similar worldview as yourself. I'm I agree. Best... It
0: sounds like we do. Yeah, it sounds like we do.
1: But um, you know, t- going back earlier to your point about um, the British, I, I I'm definitely not disagreeing with you about the british and their intelligence agencies they you know everybody knows about james bond right and mi6 uh, and if you yeah, if you sure. into this stuff you'll find that uh for example aleister crowley he was actually a a british secret service agent did you know that i don't know who that is oh, okay <laughs> Alistair Crowley, he's a very prominent figure in this world of like occult and black magic and stuff uh, like okay. that. He's a pretty, he's a massive creep in it. Might be better if you aren't aware of who he is. Okay. But uh, he he was going around the world and uh, you know teaching people magic and stuff like that. And he was he was accused of all kinds of horrible things. And the whole time he was an agent for MI6, and nobody really realized it. But he was um, he was spying on people, and he was. He was uh, taking orders and he was fulfilling them, and that just kind of went underneath everybody's noses.
0: Let's get into some fun, maybe five, ten more minutes. We'll wrap this up. All right, is that cool? Yeah, you had, you had mentioned the third eye. What's the third eye all about? What's that?
1: So, the third eye would be your pineal gland. This is amazing. I had, uh,
0: Josh of the pine uh, pineal podcast on is my first episode. So he's kind of into that Eastern uh, mysticism. I want to, I want to just plug his podcast, check it out. If you haven't listened to it, go ahead.
1: Sure. So uh, this gets into the world of, of chakras and your chakra system. And the idea that your bodily organs represent different chakras. And it actually starts at the base of your spine your... I'm sure you've heard the concept of chi or ki. Yeah. I have. Very Eastern. The idea that your body has this certain energy. Well, what they don't tell you in a lot of this Eastern stuff, maybe because they're embarrassed or they think it's gross, but your chi or your body's energy, your ki, your kundalini is the same as your sexual energy. Okay. So, Yeah, so that energy has to come from somewhere. When you get excited... You know when you you get sexually stimulated, this is actually your your Kundalini or your chi rising through the different chakras in this in this chakra system that that uh makes up your body and basically what you're doing is you are cultivating this energy from from the base part of your body your you know your anal anal anogentinal region Interesting. Your, uh,
0: okay your here
1: we go part. Yeah, there you go. And then this this energy rises up through your spine, uh, winding up at the pineal gland, also called the lotus flower. And Randy
0: Descartes, to... I want to say I'm a big Western philosophical fan. Randy Descartes thought that he had the mind-body problem. He thought that that was where the, the pineal gland in the center of the brain, uh, I think there's only one pineal gland. There's not two. A lot of the glands in the body, there's two. He thought that that's where mind and body came together. He thought that's where um, mind influenced body. So that, I'm gonna let me plug Randy Descartes, one of my favorite philosophers. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I, I think that he was definitely onto something. It's almost as if it's a bridge between the physical and the spiritual that's realm. Yeah, that's
0: exactly what he thought. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um I have read a, a little bit of uh, am I pronouncing it right De- Descartes, Descartes Descartes
0: meditations, one of the best uh one of the best philosophical uh works that i've ever read and uh yeah he's called the modern the, the father of modern philosophy uh, i think for a reason so yeah big fan of uh Descartes and his work
1: yeah for sure and like the in the world of philosophy there was different eras yes and there were. I, I suppose towards the end you get you get nietzsche and the nihilism. nihilism. I'm not a big
0: Nietzsche fan. He's you know uh, he's very uh, popular within right wing and Nazi Nazis. In fact, I think World War One the Germans gave everyone on the front lines Nietzsche. So I don't I don't go too big, too deep in the Nietzsche. Um, I'm a I'm a I'm a student of the Enlightenment. Uh, Kant, Hume, uh, Descartes, um, even um, Adam Smith, who I alluded to, is some some call him the the father of capitalism. Although I don't think he I think I think people that say that he was the father of capitalism haven't really read his stuff, at least not his stuff on, um, not his stuff on ethics, because I don't think there's too many ethics involved in capitalism. Let me let's go to some rapid fire stuff though. I don't want to go too too deep in this real, stuff. Real,
1: real quick, ahead, gonna, yeah, yeah. I need you? Sorry, I just want to finish the point. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, man. Sorry,
1: J- jumping around a little bit too quick for me. <laughs> but um, I
0: got it. I got like twenty questions I want to get to in, in the next ten minutes. It'll be fun, but it's all good. Go ahead.
1: Talk on Nietzsche. Okay, go okay. I'll, I'll go real quick. So I, I just want to point out that you know I'm, I'm not promoting Nietzsche. I'm not like trying to talk him up. I I agree with you. Like this is something that heavily influenced the Nazis. Between the Nietzsche and the stuff from Blavatsky, you could kind of put together their whole philosophy. You know, you add in the racial superiority and the, the exaggerated stuff that come you, from
0: eugenics. Stalin. Yeah, the eugenics.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Take those two and then throw in eugenics, and you, you pretty much have the Nazi party. And you know, there's some political stuff in there too. But, anyways, um, th- this this uh, nil nihilism, this is something that Ooh, just permeates-
0: nihilism. I like this. Let's go to nihilism. What's nihilism all about?
1: Well, it it's it it, it permeates our entire society. It's um, you've seen the movie right. The Joker, right?
0: I have not. I, I'm a pop culture critic. I don't watch a lot of movies. Are you? I, I I care less about pop culture and more into ideas. I've read some stuff on nihilism. I've read some Nietzsche too. Are you a nihilist?
1: Oh, oh, heck no, heck no. I only reason I'm bringing it up is because yeah. we were talking about the Nazis. They were yeah. heavily influenced by this stuff and these philosophies. The, the way that young people act today, you know, the idea that the universe, God is dead. The universe is uncaring. Nothing, a, and nothing it, matters. You know why even get up? Ma-
0: you know why even get up in the morning if nothing matters? You know what I mean. I, I, I have a reason to give it. Get up. I have a purpose. I am not a nihilist. Although I think it's an interesting thought, though I do think it's an
1: interesting thought. Sure. Sure. But, like, young people nowadays, I would say that they have a very Joker-like mentality. You know, to to explain this, I know you're not a comic book guy, but the Joker is, like, the perfect blend between nihilism and absurdity. Okay. that is Somebody completely dejected by society who sees no worth or meaning in doing anything. Reality has literally just become a joke because there's no point to anything. Might yeah. as well just laugh at it and kill okay. people. Interesting. Exactly. You're taking God out of everything. Okay. It, it,
0: yeah. Well, let me get to this. Let's 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 just go. Let's just go rapid fire. We got less than we got ten minutes. What? Okay. What is God? You said God a number of times. What is God? Who is God? What What does God mean? What's that?
1: To me, God would be – you have two types. You have demigods that are a little further down the food chain that are not the true creators of all but still exist and still will pretend to be the the one true God. I think a lot of uh, uh, demons and gods and angels and various entities throughout history are – Uh, what i would call demigods or gods with a little g then you have god with a big g which is source the creator of all things the entity or being that dreamed everything up from the beginning do you believe in
0: god with a big g
1: oh oh, absolutely absolutely what what created the universe god uh yes it was like a musical note a musical note being spun off of an instrument do you believe in the big bang in the sense that it's like a musical note being strung, strum strummed from a guitar.
0: What do you see for the future of humanity?
1: Hopelessness, destruction, cannibalism, bestiality. You're a nihilist, aren't you? Uh, I wouldn't really say I'm a nihilist. I'd say okay. I'm more of a doomer.
0: Okay. What about immortality or eternal consciousness? What do you say? What do you think about these these ideas?
1: Uh, Well, you could live a long time if you uh, take part in certain occult vampirism rituals. Um, We're all familiar with vampires, but most of us are completely unaware of their true history or what they are or the fact that they actually do exist.
0: We're getting weird. It's Friday night. We're having rapid fire right now, okay?
1: Freaky Friday. JFK. Ooh, well, that would be the military-industrial complex, the New World Order. As far as specifics, I know the FBI was very heavily involved and probably the CIA. Where's Bigfoot hiding? In the woods of the Pacific Northwest, as well as the Himalayas, and just about everywhere else.
0: Why has Loch Ness monster sightings been going down recently? I don't think there's been many lately.
1: Good question. I can only assume that the Loctus monster ate ate some bad tuna and passed away.
0: Are we alone in the universe? Is there intelligent life out there? Aliens?
1: Uh, Depends on how you want to look at that. I personally am not a big space alien guy. I believe in portals and extra dimensional beings coming through portals. We could go into the history and why I believe that, but we'd probably have to do that another time.
0: Yeah, I don't have enough time. Um, what about... Um, what's a portal? Yeah, I gotta, I gotta stop here. What's a portal?
1: Uh, watch the movie Stargate.
0: Okay. So you don't believe in aliens?
1: Well, it I, depends on your definition of aliens. Do I believe in little green men from another planet who come down here and shoot us with little laser guns and wear shiny little pants and six... Ex- stick probes at people's butts. No, I do not believe in those type of aliens, but I do believe in alien gods and demons and angels and extra dimensional beings coming through portals. What's with the new
0: public obsession with UFOs, aliens, that sort of technology. What's that all about? Is it a, uh, is it an illusion? Is it a distraction or is there um, fire where there's smoke?
1: Well, see. This is where we get into that realm of things where you get into the crazy world. I mean, this is the realm of magic and other dimensions and things like that. And these people have been working with these entities and uh, playing with magic since ancient times. So whatever's really coming through is presenting itself as space aliens in order to deceive us. What's magic? Magic is manipulating things around you using your intent. Do you believe in magic? I not only believe in it, but I practice it. You
0: would consider yourself a magician, is that right?
1: Uh, more like a weirdo warlock. What's that mean? I'm just kidding. I I mean <laughs> I I don't there's a lot of different labels, like sorcerer, okay. warlock, stuff like okay. that. A lot, of those, uh, a lot of those kind of lean towards something being evil. Let me say that I, I don't have anything to do with Satanism or anything like that. I, I, okay. I only practice uh, white and gray magic.
0: We got like five minutes or so. We're having a great time here. Friday night, we're getting weird. Uh, necessary illusions. Um, what's going on in Area 51?
1: probably not a whole lot too many people know about it Uh, right now it's just become kind of a cultural meme wormholes
0: does that connect uh distant parts of space uh the multiverse uh time travel what do you think what do you think of wormholes
1: see this is where it all comes together this is why people shouldn't like separate things like conspiracy topics and stuff like that because it's all the same thing. This is what we were talking about earlier. This is quantum entanglement. This is a Stargate. It's all the same quantum physics type of discussion.
0: What's going on in Seattle? It's kind of a kind of weird, wild place. What's Seattle all about?
1: Well, that is a very complicated question. Um, <laughs> you could start. I mean, I mean, it, it, you know. It, that's where I you're don't...
0: located, right? You're out in Seattle?
1: Okay, the, the, initial, yeah, the initial reaction is going to be to blame the left and to blame the Marxists. That's what your typical so-called patriot is going to do. Uh, me personally, I feel that the problem is, is much deeper. And um, talking about political ideologies and stuff like that, that, that's a distraction from the fact that there's just a lot of corruption going on here, a lot of payoffs.
0: What's the government hiding What's so secret? What do they need all these classified records for?
1: To hide the fact that the Central Reserve is privately owned Ooh, and the fact yeah. that
0: we Federal are. Reserve. Yeah, the Federal Reserve.
1: We are all owned by a, a corporation known as the United States of America.
0: What's going on at the Denver airport?
1: Some creepy shit, man. Let me tell you, there's everything <laughs> from that too a lot
0: of weird stuff, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. See, this is them. This is the so-called Illuminati, the elite, sending us messages through their own language of symbology. Something I I really encourage you to kind of get into a little bit, because um, you you seem like a very smart and well-read guy, and your, your particular area of expertise expertise is is a very fascinating one but like if you if you took a, a mind like yours and unleashed it upon all this other stuff I, i'd be really t- curious to see what happens
0: you're too kind man you're too kind you got a, you got a strong mind too i appreciate it who's behind the crop circles is that just a conspiracy theory or there's some legitimate alien ties
1: that one it seems as though it's probably like a government thing um i have seen certain crop circles that seem like they're from some benevolent force uh, warning about deception saying that they oppose deception I can't help but feel like some of them must be from some sort of angelic or good aliens or good gods or good extra dimensional beings or just good people hidden there that you might call white hats
0: Um, I got too many questions and not enough, not enough time we got like less than three minutes Um, Are we in a simulation?
1: That's a tough one as well. I mean, we could be in a a simulation inside of a simulation. I could be a scientist. I could be
0: a mad scientist putting chemicals in your brain, your brain in a vat, and I could be simulating this conversation right now, even though we're not actually having it.
1: And we could be inside of a multiverse, meaning that right adjacent to us is an Earth 2 where there is a version of me that's just slightly different, has a mustache, has a, uh, who knows, you know, has blonde hair.
0: Last question here. Last question, then I'll give you whatever you want to plug. What happened with those Russian hikers, the the Dyatlov Pass, uh, Nine Deaths, I think it was in the, I forget when it was, maybe the 60s, 50s, 40s even, (laughs) Uh, some theories say nerve gas. There were nine deaths. They were mutilated. The bodies. What happened there?
1: Oh, that's that's a really weird one. I am familiar with that story. They probably got a little too close to um, these entrances into what's called the underworld. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the network of caves and caverns that uh, permeate the top crust layer of the earth that can take you all the way from los angeles to washington dc and then to paris then to moscow et cetera. Et cetera. and supposedly these these uh underground tunnels also connect to uh a, a world that's even deeper that has a a uh, another species down there that's not human something left over from ancient times
0: we got uh we got less than 30 seconds uh Daniel of End of Days Radio. Anything you want
1: to plug? Um, j- just wanted to encourage everybody to uh, stay away from Nazi ideologies and white supremacy, to learn the history of racism of the United States as well as the world, and to study history, study alternate history. Uh, join me at endofdaysradio.com. Get End of Days Radio on anywhere that you can get podcasts, as well as places like YouTube, BitChute, Rumble. Uh, hey, we're and- out, man.
0: We're out. Two, three, one. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for listening to Necessary Illusions. I want to thank my special guest, Daniel, of End of Days Radio. We took a deep dive on secret societies, conspiracy theories, and centers of power. Things got pretty weird on Friday night and I had a good time. Again, I am your host, MC Squared, no gods, no masters, I'm out!